I'm Nick Park from Evangelical Alliance Ireland, and this is our series, The XXXY Files, taking a biblical look at the whole subject of sexuality and gender. And we've now reached episode four, When Two Worlds Collide on Sexuality and Gender. In the early 1980s, the Salvation Army in the UK were the subject of an aggressive television documentary about their ministries to the homeless. As a former homeless alcoholic who came to faith in a Salvation Army hostel, I recognised that many of the accusations were unfair and inaccurate. I was struck by the response of a senior Salvation Army leader who described the documentary as a slap in the face that we don't deserve, but a kick in the seat of our pants that we do deserve. In the intervening years, when faced with conflicts in churches and in our interactions with wider society, I've often remembered that comment. We need to recognise that attacks and accusations against Christians are frequently motivated by ill will or even outright hatred. But we also need the humility to examine ourselves. Can we do better? Even if criticism comes from an evil source, is anything in that criticism justified. It should not surprise us that Christians are being attacked for holding a biblical worldview and sharing biblical values. Jesus told us that this would happen. He spoke about the world, referring to the fallen culture in which we live our daily lives. Jesus said that we are to live in this world, but we don't belong to it. Therefore, the world will hate us. John 17, 14 to 16. Although criticism often feels personal, Jesus said that we will be hated for his name's sake, Matthew 10, 22. Even if we were to speak and act perfectly, we would still face hatred and attack. Jesus was hated without a cause, John 15, 25, and because the world hated Jesus, it hates his followers as well, John 15, 18. From this, we can draw two conclusions. We should not seek the applause of the world. Even if we were tempted to do so, which I'm not, there would be no point in compromising our values or stopping teaching truth in order to be acceptable to culture. The world will still hate you. The only result from such compromises is that the world will despise you as a coward, as well as hating you. We should stop being surprised every time the surrounding culture manifests its wickedness. If we really believe what Jesus said about the world, then of course it's going to say and do wicked things. So let's not keep posting on social media about how shocked we are because something sinful happened at the Oscars, the Grammys, at halftime in the Super Bowl or in a beer commercial. Of course those things are going to happen. These are the things of the world. And Jesus said that's what the world is like. While acknowledging that most much of the hatred we receive from the world is a spiritual matter, Let's also have the humility to acknowledge where we can do better. I've been criticised by some in the past for addressing our own failings in the Christian church. I've been told that I shouldn't wash the church's dirty linen in public. But we already have a lot of dirty church linen on public display. And pretending it doesn't exist only opens us up to the deserved accusation of hypocrisy. The Apostle Paul said that hypocrisy dishonours God and causes God's name to be blasphemed, Romans 2.24. 
And Peter wrote that it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. 1 Peter 3, 16, 17. We tend to feel that being falsely accused is the worst thing that can happen to us because that's not fair. But the New Testament writers take a very different view. In effect, they say you'd better get used to false accusations because they will come at you, but that's far better than being in the wrong and getting justifiably accused of something. We have a perfect right to point out the agenda that is often directed against Christians. We should indeed point out the dishonesty behind undeserved slaps in the face. But we can only do this effectively if we are honest and humble enough to acknowledge where we need a kick in the seat of our collective pants. So let's apply these principles to the whole culture clash when it comes to sexuality and gender. There's no doubt that two word worlds are colliding here, the world of our surrounding culture and the biblical worldview. There is an agenda to promote homosexuality and transgender issues in ways that go way beyond tolerance. In some ways, this can be seen as a swing of the pendulum from 50 years ago. At one time, the surrounding sinful culture of the world endorsed the criminalization of gays, lesbians and transgendered people and even condoned violence against them. Now their lifestyles seem to be commended. However, those who don't enthusiastically applaud or embrace such lifestyles are becoming increasingly marginalised and mischaracterised. And this is not just directed at Christians. For example, the author J.K. Rowling has been attacked and ostracised for her refusal to acknowledge biological males as women. Her position stems from her desire to preserve the safety of women, not from any religious motivation. But that has not stopped her being abused, threatened, accused of killing transgender people with hate, and even calls for her books to be burned. Similar treatment has been directed at feminists who see the recognition of biological males as women as eroding hard-won freedoms and protections for biological females. Again, the motivation of these feminists is not religious, but they are still widely derided as horrible people to be avoided and shunned. However, it does appear that there is an extra level of intolerance and abuse that is directed against Christians. Kate Forbes was a leading candidate to become leader of the Scottish Nationalist Party and First Minister of Scotland. Her campaign was derailed by accusations of homophobia. She stated that, as a committed Christian, she would not have voted for same-sex marriage if she had been an MSP, Scottish Member of Parliament, at the time when it passed the Scottish Parliament, because she believes marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, quite reasonably, she believes that the law as it stands now should be applied equally to all and that no one should suffer discrimination or harassment. There was no question whatsoever that Kate Forbes had actually done anything wrong. Her offence was to hold and express a Christian worldview and to be honest in stating how she would have voted in a hypothetical situation that never actually happened. Also in the UK, there have been worrying incidents where Sir Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party and potentially the next Prime Minister, has been attacked for visiting evangelical churches. Press coverage has condemned the churches and the UK Evangelical Alliance as homophobic because they hold to a biblical worldview and values. We can expect, both in Ireland and other countries, that this kind of nonsense will increase. 
And we need to speak out against the intolerance of those who pretend that tolerance is the only virtue. That's part of my responsibility and my role in Evangelical Alliance Ireland. So much for the undeserved slaps in our faces. But what about the kicks in the seats of our pants? Are we behaving in ways that invite criticism? Are we guilty of hypocrisy? Are we in danger of suffering because of our own wrongdoing? Is there a possibility, God forbid, that we could be responsible for the name of God being blasphemed? I don't believe any genuine Christian can be homophobic or transphobic in the sense of hating other human beings. Hating anyone is an outright denial of the power of the gospel to redeem and save. But sad to say, a number of Christians do give the impression that they fear gay or transgendered people and see them as the enemy. And that's a real problem. When I came to Christ, I discovered a depth of joy that I'd never dreamed existed. My new experience in Christ was vastly superior to any high I had ever experienced from any chemical substance. I remember coming across Demos Shikarian's book, The Happiest People on Earth, and thinking how neatly that book title summed up my understanding of Christian transformation. God changed me from being a suicidal and tormented teenager into a Christian man who loves life. It breaks my heart to realise how many people are still bound by depression and fear. The issues of self-harm and self-destruction among young people should be a matter of great concern for all Christians. Transgender teens are 7.6 times more likely to attempt suicide or self-harm than their peers. Just think about that for a moment. The issue for me is this. How can the happiest people on earth share our joy with the unhappiest young people on earth? Obviously, we don't really help anyone by pretending things that aren't true or by endorsing sinful behaviour or concepts. But neither do we help them by poking fun at them, by mocking them or by betraying them as the enemy. I see a lot of comment about transgenderism on Christians' social media feeds, but it's very rare indeed that I see any serious discussion on how to love transgender people, how to pray for them, or how to reach them effectively for Jesus. I'm not pretending that such witness and subsequent discipleship is easy. It may well be slow and difficult. But that doesn't stop us developing innovative ministries to reach other groups of people. I know Christians in parts of the Islamic world who have spent a lifetime learning how to reach out effectively to a particular people group. Sometimes I see a meanness in our interactions with people on social media, even though I know these Christians personally to be lovely people. But some, somehow that loveliness doesn't get reflected in their online persona. In fact, if all I knew of them was what they post online, then I probably wouldn't want to know them. I was recently visiting a good pastor friend in the US, and he was surfing various channels and streaming services and suddenly said, hey, do you watch, ever watch any videos by... and he named a well-known public speaker. Now, the speaker isn't a preacher or, even to my knowledge, an evangelical Christian, but he is well-known as a commentator on political, cultural and social issues. I had to respond honestly by saying, well, I've watched a few, but he does absolutely nothing for me. My friend was amazed. Why not? 
And I said, because he never seems to want to do anything other than destroy his opponents with a gotcha argument. There's no desire to reach anyone, to change their heart or even change their minds. It's all about point scoring and getting a laugh and a cheer from people who already agree with him anyway. As Christians, we have to do better. We have to start from a different foundation. We need to stop seeing people as enemies or as a threat to our faith. We need to see them as people whom Jesus died for, who are desperately confused, and who need to see Jesus in all our interactions with them. They are today's equivalent of the sinners and the tax collectors that appear in the gospel. In our dealings with them, will we look more like Jesus or more like the scribes and Pharisees? Jesus spoke truth, and he did so with grace and love, and we must not do less. Feel free to get in touch with me at nick at evangelical.ie. As I say each week, I want to avoid misunderstandings. And if there are aspects we're missing out and need to cover, then I'd love to know about that. When I teach this kind of material in a seminar or a conference, then we usually have question and answer sessions. So please do feel free to get in touch if you need something clarified or have a concern, a criticism or a word of encouragement. And do join us next week for message number five in the XXXY files. We're going to be talking about Christians, sport and transgender athletes a highly topical subject at present.